0: This episode of Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by Hills. At Hills, their decades of science and research guide the company in creating nutrition that's a step ahead, so pets and pet parents can enjoy every day together. As the U.S.'s number one veterinarian-recommended pet food brand, knowledge is Hills' first ingredient, with more than 220 veterinarians, Ph.D. nutritionists, and food scientists working to develop breakthrough innovations in pet health. Hills Prescription Diet, Therapeutic Nutrition, plus the company's everyday foods, Hills Science Diet, Hills Healthy Advantage, and Hills Bioactive Recipe – Are sold at vet clinics and pet specialty retailers worldwide. For more information about Hills, their products, or their forward thinking approach to nutrition, visit them at hillspet.com or hillsvet.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.
1: Today we're talking about the pets we loved and lost on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Sierra Howe.
0: And I'm Dave Shapiro. And yes, indeed, welcome to the program. We're coming to you from the room we call the Fish Bowl here at the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services for folks who are in need.
1: Today, we're doing something a little different. Pet Memorial Day is September 12th. It's a day when we remember the pets we've loved and lost and honor the bond we shared with them. So Dave sat down with some of our PRCKC family to talk about what it means to love a pet.
0: I have a cat named Squeaks. She's the cat of my life and my first pet as an adult. She's routine oriented like me. Every morning, without fail, after I put on some clothes and made my way toward the living room, Squeaks makes a beeline for her taco truck scratcher, which is a double-decker scratch pad. She hops on top of it and I come over and give her scritches and pets. She squeaks and chirrups and bonks her little head against the carpeted leg of the cat tower next to it, purring. She flops down and shows me her belly and I rub my fingers down her little spine This goes on for maybe a minute or two, and then we go our separate ways, me to work and her to napping, most likely. We have other routines, too, like the spaceship, where she jumps into a particular box and I fly her around the apartment. No one else is allowed to do this. She'll jump out if they try. Anyway, this is all to say that we love each other very much. The average indoor cat lives to be 10 to 15 years old. Squeaks is seven now, so I've been thinking lately about the end of her life. When will it happen? How will it happen? And and what in the world will I do? I, I don't deal well with change and loss very well in the best of times. And I'm very lucky in that it's been a long time since I've lost someone close to me. So I am, of course, terrified. Pet Memorial Day, September 12th, is a day for us to reflect on the pets that we've lost. I wanted to do an episode of the show about it since we haven't touched on loss as much. So I thought, why not turn to my team, to a person they all have more experience living with and losing pets than I do. So I put out a call. I want to sit down and record them telling me about a pet they'd loved and lost. We talk about who they were, why they loved them, what was special about them. And I wanted to talk about the end. I wanted to give them a chance to honor a lost friend so we could talk about it. But I, of course, had reasons of my own. First, I talked to Alex, who's one of our lead vet techs, friendly and kind and oh so quiet until it's time to sing Disney musical numbers. We sat down to talk about their cat, Meta.
2: Oh, I wanted to talk about my cat, Meta. I had her from the time I was seven all the way up until I moved out and was living on my own with my cat. She was tiny, so small. She was a small little, um, just a little light, tawny tabby, um, but little. Like, she was never bigger than six pounds, just a little tiny baby. I don't know. She was just... The Probably the sweetest cat I've ever met in my life. I won't probably find another cat that was as close to me as she was. Well, I was at a gathering um, with some friends, and some of them had found this little family and living inside their shed, so they brought all the kittens to find homes. She was so quiet, and it was really weird. The two of us vibed in a very specific way, like, we were on the same wavelength we avoided everyone we were like we're not going to talk to anybody we would stay isolated and then we would wait until the middle of the night and then we'd both go down and get food <laughs> any time that i was like hurting or just like having an emotional moment she would come and just lay on the part of my body that was hurting or she would just lay on my chest and just comfort me that way and she was always crawling under the covers to just give me that special love that she knew that I needed. Meta just lost a lot of weight she wasn't able to gain we tried to we went to the vet we tried to figure it all out but in the end she just one day I woke up and I was like oh because that was the thing with Meta would not drink water out of a water bowl. So she would always drink out of my cup and so I just had like a cup of water and I was like, Oh, she's just drinking it and then I noticed that she'd fallen asleep, like standing with her head almost in it and the rest of the day she just declined so fast. And at some one point I was just like, This is it, like she's she's done. Like I can't right. keep her like this. So I just held her for a few hours just to get myself ready and find someone to take me somewhere because I wasn't in a place where I could take us there. Um, And yeah, I just held her as she went to sleep.
0: I can verify that Meta was indeed a very sweet cat and very little and very cute. How do you say goodbye to such a good companion? The hours spent together, the bond that supports you and strengthens you and grows and changes as you both grow and change. The loss of that could be devastating. Of course, that's what I'm focusing on. Our lives are enriched by that bond and can even pull us out of ourselves into a different space, help us become who we are. And while we think of that bond as being primarily between us and dogs and cats, there are, of course, a number of different animals that we bond with, and they mean just as much, which I learned when I sat down with one of our veterinarians, Dr. Stephanie Albrecht, to talk about her horse, Willie.
3: I want to talk about Willie. My father got him for one of my other siblings, but um, this pony was very scared of men. And we think it had a background where it maybe had had some abuse in that way. Um, So he connected very much so with me being a young girl. I wasn't the scary, intimidating person that he had interacted with in the past. So we got a very close bond at a very young age. Not only could I ride him, but we also did carting with him, which means having a harness and putting a cart on him. And he was so gentle and so relaxed with me, letting me learn how to do these different techniques and um, allowing me to work through um, things like um, parades and shows and things of that nature that got me out there into the public, which wasn't my big thing at the time. So it was something that got me to interact with other people. And I'd even, I'd have him around town and um, I'd have other people that would want to ride on the cart with me or just interact with him because he was such a sweet little horse. Um, And it taught a lot of other people about um, how to care for horses and how they can be so beneficial. We would take him and my, uh, some of my other siblings would do a competition where they'd where they'd move cows with the horses. Um, It's called team penning. And uh, I'd always bring him along, even though he's about the size of a cow. So he wasn't as useful um, in that. But um, I actually did use him one day to move some cows into a pen. And the crowd was so amazed with how well he did and that he just kept pushing. And even though these cows were bigger than him and me sitting, I'm not much bigger than the cow, um, that he was so spunky and he'd sit there in a little prance. So... When I went out to go work with him one day, um, he actually had some bulging to one of his eyes. Um, We took him to K-State. Um, They had him assessed and found out that he had brain cancer. So that's what was causing that issue. And he was very nervous and scared um, and couldn't see as well. And him being already kind of that spooky guy um, when he couldn't tell who was there. um, So I was with him that whole time. And um, the amazing part, the part that I learned and developed me into the veterinarian I am now, I feel like, is that interaction with the veterinarians at K-State was Absolutely superb. And their students so greatly appreciated him being there because they taught him a lot. So, or he taught them a lot, I should say. Um, One about different types of cancers and how the body is affected by that. Um, They said at that time um, they hadn't, they'd only been working with healthy horses. And so learning how the body responds to an illness and how the body um, compensates for it, I guess is the best way to put it, taught them a great deal to also better them. So not only did he enrich my life and teach me a great deal, he taught all those students and the other veterinarians there a great deal to move forward in the veterinary field, which he didn't even make the end of his life just the last moment. He made sure he enriched everybody's life at that moment. So it was an amazing moment for him to be able to be part of this world and something great that I now think of him all the time of how many lives he touched in that moment and how many lives throughout his life he touched. So
0: Honestly, this is very much what I would expect from someone as dedicated to educating people as Dr. Steph. The admiration in her voice when talking about Willie made me think about the long-lasting changes pets make in our lives. We can learn so much from them, and it's fair to say that they change our lives irrevocably. Dr. Marta Andelson, one of our other vets, brought a different kind of energy to our talk, and her experience with her parakeet cheeks was a very formative one for her.
4: I got cheeks when I was in sixth grade, and cheeks spent a lot of time with me. From sixth grade to probably 11th. It was definitely sometime in high school when Cheeks died. Um, (laughs) Cheeks came into my life because my best friend at the time, Jill, had recently got a parakeet named Reese, and I thought having a parakeet sounded like the best idea in the world because I wanted to bring my parakeet over so that Jill's parakeet and my parakeet could have playdates. Parakeets don't actually do that. That's not natural behavior for them. But as a sixth grader, it sounded like the right thing to do. Parakeets are very talkative birds. They like to make, I I can describe it, I guess, as a gurgling noise. Mm. Um, They are very interactive with each other vocally. And parakeets, if they live alone, really need some sort of interactive device like a mirror. Um, they He would spend hours in front of a mirror just kind of gurgling at himself <laughs> and uh, pecking at it occasionally. He loved to take laps around my mom's office at home. Cheeks was my first pet. We'd always had family pets that were shared, mostly dogs. Um, but I got to name Cheeks. I got to pick out all of his toys, everything that – involved decision-making for Cheeks was channeled through me. I was the one who took him to the vet with my parents all of the time. And I got to learn a lot from our veterinarian about parakeets um, because of that. And Cheeks was the the companion literally on my shoulder. Yeah. I remember practicing flute and he would sit on my shoulder and kind of trip along <laughs> when I when I played flute. Um, And he was just so trusting. I don't know how old he was when I got him. He was probably really young. I think they tend to sell parakeets when they're very young. But he had no fear. And for something so tiny and seemingly still pretty undomesticated, he was a great little companion. I noticed, I think maybe Cheeks was six or seven years old, which is pretty old for a parakeet that he started to lose weight, and his feathers weren't quite as bright as they had been. Luckily, our veterinarian was really experienced in dealing with what's called exotic animals, so birds would be included in that. And uh, most likely, it was kidney cancer, renal failure... Pretty common in older parakeets, but uh, we made him as comfortable as we could, and then one day I came home, and he was lying at the bottom of the cage, and I knew that he was gone. As far as I can tell, it was peaceful. You always want that for your pets, but it's always more alarming when you come home to find them deceased as opposed to making the decision. Uh, It was really hard. I remember being really sad because he was my first solo pet, but he had had a really great seemingly great life with us and uh, really was a boisterous little parakeet. And so I, I knew that it was going to happen. I, I knew that he was sick for a while. And uh, I haven't had any parakeets since Cheeks, yeah. but I definitely am glad that that was my first pet.
0: Dr. Anderson's fond memories of Cheeks are very much in line with her personality. Always very helpful and friendly and kind. I do get a little jealous, admittedly, of people who had pets early in life. They seem more well-adjusted than me, a person who is morose and is literally recording a podcast about pet death. And while most of the folks I talked to today had instant bonds with their pets, Kristen Roth, Director of Community Engagement, highlighted another type of pet relationship, the slow burn.
5: I was here to talk about Boomer, my dog, Mm -hmm. that passed away in February. I met Boomer when he was probably like three years old. I started dating Boomer's dad. (laughs) But for the first six months of Boomer's life, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. And my boyfriend, Matt, told me, he's really going to make you work for it. And he did. It wasn't until um, six months in, Matt took a trip to Chicago, and he left me with Boomer, and I was there to babysit him. And because I was then his sole feeder and cuddler, he finally let me in. He was just, you know, you could want to sleep in, or you could leave him a home a little longer than you normally would with another pet, and he was just totally fine. He was just very relaxed. And then the only time he wasn't relaxed really was when he saw a cat. <laughs> and it took us a very long time with him and cats, but it was probably six months before he died that he finally gave up his love of trying to eat cats when we got our kitten and the kitten fixed him <laughs> and they started hanging out and then he was a cat person. Um, he was just... You know, he was really loyal to us, and even though he was kind of a really quiet presence, it was very loud when he was gone. Um, But it was actually Super Bowl Sunday that I really started to get an inkling that something was off. We had friends over, and he was just kind of acting nervous, and he had thrown up a little bit, and then that quickly throughout that week, he couldn't keep any food down, Um, we did take him to our full service vet and did some x-rays and we're pretty sure, um, you know, he had a blockage and that it was a tumor. And they said it was very likely just because of his age and that he was a boxer. Those two kind of went hand in hand. Um, and we, we were really open to the fact that this was probably the end But Dr. Nichols here at the clinic, as well as honestly all of our doctors, Dr. Andelson and Dr. Albrecht, um, they all really supported us through the next steps, and they really encouraged us to try a few things, and we did. So um, I was also blessed that my boss, our CEO, let me take like three days working from home where I could have him hooked up to fluids and work on his medication, just try to keep him comfortable before we had to make the tough decision. And um, when we made that decision, I was really nervous to ask our doctor if our Dr. Nichols, if she would do the euthanasia at my house um, because I just felt like she was so overwhelmed or I just, she had so much on her plate that week. It was a very unique week when we also had three other pets of our employees that were dying. It was just, we've never had a week like that before. And she just said to me, Kristen, I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course, I'm going to come to your house and do this for you. And she did. And it was really, um, it was hard, but she made it a little easier.
0: Just like with our human family, we hope that our pets leave us peacefully with as little stress and pain as possible. I'm really glad Kristen and Boomer got to have a quiet, at-home euthanasia, and very thankful for the staff here at PRCKC. Chris Lopez, who I also talked to, actually doesn't work here anymore. He found a great opportunity and took it, and we miss him dearly. He's always part of the family. He's a very thoughtful person, and I think it shows in his comments. I interviewed him before his last day to talk about a very special dog named Leto.
6: Today, I was going to talk about one of my uh, dogs, Leto, that I owned in the past. So as soon as I graduated from college, I started working at the city shelter for Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City Pet Project. Um, and pretty shortly after that, was introduced to Leto by another staff member. Um, leto had a lot of behavioral issues and due to his strength was very hard to handle. Um, at that time in my life, I couldn't take him home because he didn't get along with other animals and I had other animals and other family members in the house. Um, and so I would take care of him in the morning, take care of him at night. And then typically, um, as many times as every single day of the week, I would go up uh, after hours with the approval of the managerial, uh, team, and take him out where there weren't as many people, as many uh, things that kind of set off his anxiety and his defensive behavior. He was a goofball. Um, He was very – so I described um, him as, like, your middle school bully. Like, he was so scared of other things, people, dogs, just anything that moved, basically, that he puffed up and would try to, like, scare them off. Um, But once you got past that and once uh, he trusted you – he, like he would be bouncing off the walls I called it like his little low rider stance he would just bounce on his front two feet um, very eager and he was very smart as well uh, for me he was a big part of of my life uh, he came to me at a point where as a young adult um, things could be very confusing and our nightly walks together like helped define who I am and what I'm passionate about today so um in October of 2020. Um, he started having showing some neurological signs. Um, he would be circling or putting his head against the wall, uh, losing weight all of a sudden, and so it got to a point where I felt like he needed to go into the vet. Um, and so it was a late night run to uh, Blue Pearl, and they confirmed that it was a neurological issue uh, without doing any. CAT scans or anything like that their assumption was that there was a tumor in his brain Um, on top of that he had already been diagnosed with congestive heart failure so he was on heart meds if I was going to attempt to try and treat a brain tumor it would also be taxing on his heart as well as his liver and kidneys that were already um, getting daily doses of medication Um, and so it, it came down to like the the feeling that i'm sure others can relate to of like it it gets to a point where it feels selfish to keep him here um and it feels like the the leto that i remember was not the letto on that night anyway um and as as sad as it was and as terrible as it was um it's i also know that it's something that with his limitations and in, in his story and my story and our story like I can look back on those times and and feel good about the time that we spent together. Um, We finally got him out of the shelter. He was living in the basement of Kansas City Pet Project for almost four years. um, And I finally was able to take him home. And so he was at home until his passing uh, from January until October, at least. Um, And it was almost kind of like the end of the book anyway. Like that was the goal. And it it almost felt like he was kind of like, all right, I did it. Like, Like, time for the next
0: adventure. Yeah. The way pets come into our lives is strange sometimes. And if you believe in fate, it happens for a reason. Leto's journey into Chris's life was fraught with difficulty and fear, but truly their bond enhanced both of their lives. And then there was Gabby. Gabby works in our call center and just lost her cat Jekyll two weeks before our interview. I was surprised, to be honest, that she wanted to talk about it so soon after. I, I couldn't imagine doing such a thing. But Gabby's a very sweet, very open person. And it soon became clear exactly why she wanted to talk about it.
7: It was, I'm like so grateful that I had the chance to actually have him in my life. And yeah. I met him when he was like four months old, so still pretty much my kitten. So um, he was like, originally he was my boyfriend's. And uh, they found him in a dumpster. He was covering roundworms, ringworms, any kind of parasite you can think of. Um, he didn't have any hair. He was like the size of a small tennis ball. He was really tiny. Honestly, the most weird and best cat ever, honestly. <laughs> he was just so weird, in all honesty. But God, he loved lights. And he loved bees for some reason and flowers. He was, we call him our little bee. Because that's all he loved. He loved flowers. He loved bees. He will bring them live to us, and I'm like, no, don't, don't do that. You're gonna get stung by that. So, yeah. He only used to drink water with his paw. He will refuse to use his tongue. Like he would just dip his paw in the water, lick it, and then go ahead and do it. We called it the moldy paw because, mm-hmm. oh god, <laughs> that was the worst meal you could think of. And he knew. He knew that was bad, cause that's the only paw he will put in your face. And I'm like, God, Jesus, you're white. <laughs> um, I want to keep the memory of him. I don't want to let the memory die, and I want to make sure that he's always with me. So even though it's really hard to talk about him, cause he of course reminds me of not having him anymore. At the same time, I just want to celebrate that he was with me and I had the chance to actually have him with me. I lost him about two weeks ago, a little bit over two weeks ago. Um, it was on a Wednesday. Um, we had to take him to the emergency room. He stopped walking. He lost control of his bowels, and he was breathing really hard. And they, he just had some damage to his spinal cord somehow. So they said that most humane thing was to let him go, so... It was pretty hard. We were debating for about three hours in the ER because we just didn't want to let him go, of course. Um, This is the first ever pet I have ever had to put down or lose. So it was, like, really hard, extremely hard for me to let him go and say bye. I still refuse that I had to let him go, and I am still in denial that I had to do it. Um, Do I regret the, the decision? Sometimes I do. Because I do wish he was back with us, but I know at the same time it was the best thing for him. It's, that's what hits hard. Like, you're like, but what if I would have kept him? Right. What if he would have pulled through? Like, what if he was going to be fine by now? Like, yeah. it's the what ifs, but at the same time, I think about it. And it's like, was I really willing to let him suffer for me? Because right. let's put that he was going to be in pain. Yeah, yeah. Was I really, because. Yes, I love him, and yes, he loved me, but it's not fair either to put him through that pain. I, I lost my dad, so that's like the worst day of my life. Second is this one, and I learned from that experience that if I ever lose anything in my life that has meaning to me, I got to just keep the good memories because it goes away. Yeah. If you don't think about them, they go away. And at the end of the day, all you're going to have is the sad memory. And I just want people to, like, I always recommend people celebrate the life rather than what happened. Yes, it happened. Yes, it's sad. Does it hurt? A million times. But I'm pretty sure they wouldn't want you to suffer like that. They will want you to grasp on the good memories rather than the negative. So,
0: Gabby's interview gave me hope and a few thoughts to pack away for the future when I'll need them. The idea that we need to actively keep our pet's memory alive is a good one, and while there will always be pain, maybe the act of remembering the good things helps that initial grief subside. I don't really know, to be honest with you. This is something I haven't dealt with. Like I said, my love for Squeaks is pretty deep, and I've been caring for her since kittenhood. The idea of her no longer being in my life is mortifying. But also, I'm a pretty anxious person, so I tend to focus on the unknown and try to bring it into existence so I can name it, get power over it, and not get hurt by it. But the truth, as evidenced by the six people I spoke to, is that instead of focusing on the inevitable pain that comes from loss and grief, I should be focusing on the positive stuff. The love that I have in my heart should not be eclipsed by fear. All that does is drown out the present in a wash of noise from a future that hasn't been written yet. I will walk into the living room one morning, and Squeaks won't be there. But this morning she was, and tomorrow she will be too, and we will go on one day after the next until we can't anymore. And I will do my best to be present for every minute of it.
1: So there you go, friends. This Pet Memorial Day, take the time to remember the furry or feathered or scaly friends you've loved and lost. And take some extra times with the ones that are still with us.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show today. Big thanks again to everyone who shared their stories with us. As always, we're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org, and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. And right now, if you donate, all donations are doubled through October 15th.
1: If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please rate us and leave a review. That always helps new people find us. And for the latest news, please follow us on social media. We're at PRR Podcast on Twitter and Facebook.
0: So until next time, tailwags and purrs to you and yours, and as Dr. Seuss said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, produced and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, written, recorded, mixed, and edited by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at SoundCloud.com slash Hazel raw Musical Industries.